on Audio, the podcast for writers and all who are interested in books, literature and the printed word. Write on Audio is the weekly companion podcast of Write On Magazine and the Write On suite of publications from pen to print. Subscribe by searching pen to print in your favourite podcast app to have new editions delivered to you each week. Write On Audio listener contributions. Sharing your writing for the world to hear. This month's listener contribution is an original monologue written and performed by Jeff Tallinn. Jeff is a writer, musician and part-time actor. He submitted the piece you're about to hear via our submission portal. And there's a link in our show notes that you can use to send us your own writing. Here's Jeff Tallinn reading his monologue, The First Day of the Rest of Your Death. Hundreds perhaps even thousands of years ago, before science arrived to explain away the tedious little details of everyday existence in cosy terms. The forces of nature and the heavenly progression ruled the lives of humankind. Disputes over land and rivers, animal stocks and breeding rights were common, but you knew who your enemy was. You could look him in the face while drawing your freshly sharpened plowshare or billhook before hacking off a limb or maybe inflicting some other wound which would prove lethal later due to infection. But the bigger things weren't so easy to deal with. If there was a drought, a plague, a flood, an earthquake, well, there was no neighbour or enemy tribe on which to lay the blame. Celestial spectacles like a solar eclipse would cause terror and confusion, and these events were unpredictable, ineffable, often disastrous. Over time... The human psyche desperately sought out explanation and cause. After all, who wants to believe themselves powerless when there's a family to protect, or the wider tribe? So naturally, seeking some explanation for those inhuman events, ancient man turned, we don't know, into, it is not for the likes of us to know, and so invented the gods. Plural, naturally. It makes no sense for some deity to manifest itself in the sky, yet also perversely control the earth beneath our feet. To scorch the earth with a drought, yet also cause the rivers to rise up and destroy the planted fields. Thor, Zeus, Aphrodite, Horus, Yahweh, Shiva, Vishnu, Quetzalcoatl, Achillerentia, the list is endless. The finer you could split a hair, the more gods you could conceive. And in good years, the gods were merciful. In times of strife, they were vengeful. And amazingly, there came along priests and holy men to mediate between gods and humans for a fee. Sacrifice a goat. Pay a tithe. Leave your worldly goods to a good cause. Religion has always been good business, trading on fear and uncertainty. Over time... Laws and social mores developed using religion as the basis for their justification. In many cases, the rules established for a group of people were inherently tribal in nature, a means of establishing quickly whether or not a stranger could be considered one of us. The Jewish commandments, for example, contain an original 613 rules, the mitzvot, some of which can only apply within the land of Israel. The act of circumcision is a particularly bold indication of where your allegiance lies. It has been argued 
that by having so many rules, the Jewish tribe stood a good chance of still adhering to enough of the rules to be identified by God or, or Yahweh when he returned to earth. Many of the rules simply make good sense for health and business reasons. Others appear random and are just expected to be followed, such as the growing of long sideburns by the Hasidic Jews. I grew up in an area where it was commonly said that those sideburns were to allow God to reach down and grab them to carry the devout off to heaven. Or whisk them away in a spaceship. <laughs> I love those ancient alien theories. Meet me, don't get me started. But, but, the God of the Old Testament never promises reward or punishment. It's all about agriculture. And Deuteronomy sets out that stall. Till the soil at the right time, plant at the right time, watch out for floods. It's, it's more like ancient gardener's question time than eternal salvation. Anyway, anyway, where was I? Oh yes, yes, heaven. Now we're getting somewhere. Heaven, Valhalla, Gan Eden, or if not this, an enlightened reincarnation. Do you believe it exists? I wonder what would happen if I asked for a show of hands. A useful way to ease the pain and suffering of a hard life was to tell of a nebulous final destination. After all, things may be bad now, but if you're good, and especially if you're generous to your religion of choice, then you could look forward to a happy afterlife. Johann Gutenberg is probably best remembered for being the father of movable type, but he's a perfect example of the commercialization of religion. He was involved in a scheme to make mirrors that purported to capture the light from holy relics for sale to pilgrims, and then later on used his presses to mass-produce indulgences for the sinful. Effectively, you could buy a book of excuses, commit your sins, and still expect to get to heaven for the right price. So heaven was the goal for Christianity, as a reward for the good. But what do we mean by good? During the World Wars, both Allied and German forces represented a population that was vocally Christian. Both sides believed themselves to be on the side of right. But just as it's hard to imagine light without dark, good and evil, right and wrong, only make sense in pairs. Heaven and hell. God and the devil. After all, if the promise of a heavenly afterlife isn't enough to keep you in line, why not match heaven's carrot with the equivalent stick? The concept of hell and the devil. Some man needed to invent the devil too, right? Baudelaire had a saying we need to keep in mind. The devil's loveliest ruse was to persuade us that he doesn't exist. <laughs> and yet. And yet. My name is Nathan Hoxley. I should perhaps have introduced myself earlier. I'm a psychiatrist and a former Catholic priest. And most of what I just told you is at odds with religious teaching, at least to the general public. As a psychiatrist, in my professional capacity, I've consulted with people who exhibited symptoms and mannerisms which lie well outside of the, shall we say, commonly understood mental disorders. Now, leaving aside the clearly medical conditions such as tumours and cancer of the brain or, or the common issues of severe depression and addiction, we are left with the strange and the weird and the inexplicable. 
possession? Well, it's as good an explanation as any for wild, dangerous, atypical behaviour. Mood swings, physical trauma, speaking in tongues. In less enlightened times, what could a village do for one of their own which had become untamable? Obviously, call for the holy man, the shaman, the priest. With ritual, confidence and a certain charm, the spirit of the possessed might be saved. And if not, well then, the family or the patient had clearly not been of sufficient faith. And yet. Nine months ago, against my better judgment, I was invited to attend what most of you would call an exorcism in a small seaside town in northern Portugal. Father Perez was an old colleague of mine from the University of St. Augustine, and knowing that I was in the area, he gave me a call one evening to discuss a case he was dealing with. Only a handful of priests have permission to perform an exorcism. He's one of them. I could tell from his voice that he was concerned. A young boy, previously a well-behaved and polite child, had become screaming profanities at his family and friends, and defecating in public places. He'd lost a good deal of weight, and was covered in mysterious scratches and other wounds that didn't appear to be self-inflicted. Perez had been involved with the boy and his traumatised family for several weeks, and knew that the normal medical and psychological tests had proved inconclusive at best. The family, being very religious, had eventually decided that it was time to seek theological help, and Perez was assigned to assist. He was cautious. Far and away, the most common cause of the child's symptoms would have been schizophrenia but this had already been ruled out by local experts. I suspect he wanted me as a second opinion, but with my clerical background, perhaps I had a few extra tools in the toolbox, as it were. So I arrived at the modest family home one evening in late August. The day had been hot, but unusually storm clouds had gathered. The rain was torrential, with lightning splitting the night sky like wiry fingers clawing out to something just out of reach punctuated by thunder which rolled away into the distance with the voice of some disgruntled beast. From outside, the building was nondescript. The front door, some weathered oak painted in a pale blue colour that struggled to appear more than a weak grey in the periods between lightning flashes. I knocked at the door, and after a few moments it was opened by the father, stooped under the weight of concern and responsibility. We went inside, and at once I became aware of loud cries at the back of the house. Animalistic, inhuman outbursts, followed by the indistinct sounds of objects striking a wooden floor. We strode quickly to the rear, as I removed my coat and threw it to one side, while gathering my case and effects. The father, Hugo, opened the door to the child's bedroom, but emphatically stepped to one side, allowing me to enter, but clearly not wanting to step inside himself. I addressed Father Perez by name as I entered, but he said nothing in response. The room was dimly lit, but as he turned to me, I could see his face was drawn and bathed in sweat. I unpacked as swiftly as I could. The boy, tied to the bed at each corner with cords, was heaving and writhing. Father Perez was chanting constantly, invoking the litany of the saints, and calling on Christ to cast out the unclean spirit. 
I set up more candles and crucifixes around the bedside and then attempted to apply a damping cloth to the child's forehead, but his thrashing was far too extreme. I was completely confused, and although I had expected to be simply a consultant in the case, there was little opportunity to discuss the situation with Perez. His focus was so intense on the chanting that it was all I could do to assist. The child was untamable. His limbs whipped and snapped into all manner of impossible shapes while we watched in horror, seemingly powerless to calm him or even register on his consciousness. Crimson welts appeared on his arms and legs, blood soaking into the sheets. I will spare you the details of the next few hours, except to say that between us we begged, pleaded, cajoled, threatened, and invoked the names of countless theological celebrities, as it were. At the last, just as we felt we could take no more, there was a blinding flash of light, and a hideous shape became visible over the bed. Acrid black smoke swirled around the room, twisting into a funnel which swept into and out of the child's twist before dissipating completely. And the room went silent. The child was suddenly, awfully still. Father Perez turned to me with tears in his eyes, but I found myself frozen in place, horrified, unable to utter a sound. I reached out my hand towards him in an effort to communicate, but my strength failed me, and I fell to the floor. So here's the thing. Despite all we said earlier about humanity, the gods, organised religion, the power of the human imagination, at the last, what actually happened on that night? Did the boy recover? Was the exorcism a success? Sadly, for the family, no. The boy died. And the fact is, the boy was indeed possessed. In spite of all my assumptions and logic, here, in that place, was the final irrefutable proof of the existence of higher powers. His possessor had been a demon collecting the soul for transport to hell. Father Perez, despite all his best efforts, was unable to change that fate. And more importantly, the demon which had taken hold of the child was not killed or destroyed, and in having dealt with the child was then in search of a new home. Which is how it found me, and how I died too on that terrible day. So now, gentles all, if you are wondering how that affects you, it is now my calling to welcome you, if that is the right word, to purgatory. Because yes, there is an afterlife. It exists, you have arrived, and... Well, look around. It didn't go the way most of you would have hoped. Sorry about that. Eternity begins today. Please pick up your chains as you exit the building. I've no doubt we will have much to talk about for a very long time. Thanks to Jeff for sharing this piece, which was written, performed and recorded by Jeff Tallinn. If you'd like to find out more about Jeff and his work, we'll share links in our show notes. We're always delighted to read your contributions. So if you'd like to see your words in Write On or hear them on this podcast, please get in touch. We'll share this link and all others mentioned in today's podcast as part of our show notes. I've been Tiffany Clare and you've been listening to Write On Audio. Write On Audio is produced by Chris Gregory and it's an alternative stories production for pen to print. 
This podcast is supported using public funding by Arts Council England.